1: Hello and welcome to Day 3 of the Eurocopa Podcast sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, I'd like to get you guys involved in the conversation. So please tweet at us at WSoccerTalk or use the hashtag EurocopaPod to give us your feedback. Tonight we'll be previewing Group D in Copa, as well as taking a uh, a position by position look at the U.S. Men's National Team. Joining me to do that on tonight's journey are massive Tim Sherwood fan Karthik Krishnire, huge Brendan Rogers uh, Brendan Rogers fan Gabe Smith, and Nipun Chopra super fan Christian Henage. Thanks guys for joining us. So Group D preview, guys. Let's do this. Argentina, first of all, probably winners of this whole thing, right? Uh, I think we will probably all be in agreement that they are far favorites for this uh and P- i that's probably because they have a few unheard of players much like peru people like otamendi rojo banega mascherano pastore agüero higuain Lamela, di maria nicholas gaetan Lavezzi, and uh an up-and-coming star that no one's really heard about leo messi so based on those players probably group group and overall favorites
2: they are overall favorites for this tournament, Nipun, but of course they were favorites in 2015, lost <laughs> to Chile in the final, uh, quite in you know, a heartbreaking sense, and they were playing the host country. They were the favorites entering 2011, they didn't win it, they uh, bombed out uh, in the knockout, early knockout stages. 20, 2007, they were the overwhelming favorites, Dunga right. took what was thought of as an experimental squad to the Copa, guess what, Brazil beat them 3-0 in the final. so... Mm-hmm. There's a heavy burden on this Argentina team, and and there are already people saying, well, this isn't really a real Copa. Well, trust me, at this point, Argentina will take anything, and they are the favorites for this tournament. On paper, we don't see how how, uh, any other side could beat them, but as I said, the last three Copas, they've been the favorite, and they've not come out on top, so that's worth considering.
1: Yeah, Chris, one of the things that's going on right now is that there's a lot of off-the-field stuff, and by that I mean there have been issues at the Football Federation that was... A certain amount of talk that Argentina Argentina might pull out of the Euros. Uh, sorry, of Copa. That has now been put to bed. Uh, both Karthik sent me an article as well as Sam Kelly, who who's in Buenos Aires, uh, confirmed that they are not pulling out of Copa. So that has been sorted. But this is not the sort of uh, mindset you want Argentina to go into this Copa with.
3: No, of course not. I, I think, you know, it's it's a curious thing in that regard because. In '95, the U.S. famously almost pulled out, or the players threatened to pull out because they couldn't agree their bonus structure with the USSF. And in some regards, that actually bonded the players together um, in a way that I think helped propel them to some degree to a fourth-place finish, which is, is still their best-ever finish. I'm not sure if, if that same mentality will, will transfer with this Argentina team. And equally, my, my concern with them, and I think some of this is due to the fact that, that that attacking line and that midfield line is so impressive. You listed the names yourself there, Nipun. It's contrasting it with the defence, though. That's where my issues mm-hmm. are with this team. There's a few in there who don't have a lot of international experience. Jonathan Maidana being one, Ramiro Funes Mori, Victor Quiseta, all under 10 caps. Uh, Gabriel Masado was another one, the River Plate defender, under 10 caps. Now, of course, I appreciate what some people will say, that they're like Funes Mori, etc., they're good players, they've shown they're good players. Of course they are. You won't hear me try and argue otherwise here. What I will say is international football is a different beast. Yeah. And I've I've heard enough ex pros and I've spoken to enough who've said as much that there are subtle nuances to playing at international level. And my concern for Argentina would be that that defence may let them down, that there's there's not when you look at that back line, there's not a guiding light there. There's not someone to just calm things down. I mean we've seen Otamendi is quite cavalier and at times rash in his approach or at least he has been with city and that's my issue is there's no one just calming things down at the back for them and it's it could be their undoing in this tournament for me
1: gabe i actually agree entirely with chris here actually i'm getting tired of people agreeing with chris i listened to the last two episodes (laughs) and all of us are agreeing with chris so let's start disagreeing with him a little bit but not right now because what he said is on the money the argentina if there's one issue with argentina it is the defense because as he mentioned uh, otamendi has had apache season marcos rojo has had apache season Funes more anyone that's ever listened to um world football phone uh knows uh, the thoughts that they have about Funes more and in the sense that he he can be very unreliable he's he's had a decent season with everton but he's mm-hmm. always always uh guilty of you know some errors in every single game um and then in some ways, their best defender is Mascherano, who is not really a defender. So from that perspective, I guess we have to look at that defense, don't we? And and say that even the likes of Chile in their group can can be looking at that defense and find ways to get past it.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I definitely think that's the case. And you, you want to, you know, also add in then the goalkeeper, uh, you know, Sergio Romero, right. uh, with Manchester United, who, uh, played very sparingly through the course of this season, um, you know, after the whole entire De Gea transfer debacle, uh, went Has down. He really
1: played since August yeah. of so, Yeah. So, so,
0: you know, you, you can't really say that you have then a, a lot of confidence, um, uh, with him between the sticks as well. So, you know, kind of grouping in there, there. I, I think there is certainly some question marks in the defense, um, you know, specific players that you mentioned there. Uh, I think Funes Mori has probably had the you know the better season of the three between otamendi and, and Marcus Rojo. You know Rojo is is a, is a player who's been um, you know experimented then in, in that left back position that I just don't think is is his ideal position. Uh, you've had Argentina in the past that have played right. uh, some different formations to where they played in a three center back uh, formation at the back, and and I think that probably is. Rojo's best position, if uh, if Argentina do decide to do that, although I don't think that they will, just because they really don't have enough depth, I think at center back to really be able to pull that off uh, throughout the entire tournament. Maybe in a in a in a game, a one off situation uh, where the um, uh, uh, formation itself then makes sense. And and I think really that that you know as as much as there's question marks on the defense, I think overall um, you have to say that Argentina's challenge is always finding the right balance uh, in the squad mm-hmm. lineup. I mean. They just have so many at- uh, options in the midfield and attack uh, that I, I think um, you know it, it can become a, an attacker's wet dream there uh, and the type of options they have. But to make sure that you have then some, some balance there in midfield, which is mainly going to be Mascherano for sure in that holding role, trying to protect in the back four. Uh, but I, I do like this this Argentina squad. Uh, I, I think Ever Benega. Uh, who will be another option, uh, that will be good in terms of ensuring to, to connect the attack, uh, and getting to the options of, of, you know, Aguero, Di Maria, um, and, and obviously we, we know about Lionel Messi, but I think just to to kind of close out, uh, I, I really expect, uh, an impressive performance from uh, Higuaín through this tournament. I think we're kind of talking about Argentina exercising demons as a whole as a squad uh from the past. Uh Higuaín specifically is, is one of those players you can you can put in that category with some missed penalties then and in, in, in the past that has uh has had Argentina suffer. Uh I, I actually put him down right now as as my uh likely candidate for the uh, the golden boot then at, at the end of this tournament.
3: I think we well, have to remember as well is Rodri Martino has a lot of pressure on him at this point because mm. His career in Europe, I think, is quite defined by the fact that he was seen as a failure at Barcelona, that he he let Atletico win the league. He's still highly thought of in South America, granted, but this would be the World Cup, Copper America. He's lost on big stages, a big, lot of pressure. And granted, again, there will be some members of this squad that weren't present during those games, so come in with a fresh mentality. Mm-hmm. There are also those who were present. And if I'm him at this precise moment going into this tournament, knowing my favourites... In some ways, it's one of those I can't win situations. Because if he does do it, everyone will say, well, we expected this. We all predicted this. If they don't, it will be seen as the third failure in his, his tenure with the, the national team.
1: Karthik, let's talk about Chile now. Um, current defenders of the title, as you mentioned early uh, early on, beat Argentina uh, last year in the final. Um, there's some good things in the squads and some things that have changed since. Obviously, Sampioli has left the club yeah. has, has left the country uh, sorry the national team um that's one change but the personnel wise there's a lot of uh, continuity in terms of Matias fernandez alexis sanchez uh, vargas castillo gary medel is still in defense so i guess that's a positive and of course they're one of the best uh, midfielders in the world arturo vidal so talk to me about chile
2: yeah, this is a. They still play a style that was put in place by Bielsa, continued by Sampoli, uh, two Argentine managers. Now Pizzi, uh is managing them. They've got still a fantastic squad of players. Maybe not compared to Argentina, who of course they beat in the final uh, last year. But uh, compared to most most uh, squads in this Copa America tournament, you're still looking at players like Arturo Vidal, Alexis Sanchez, uh, top. Uh, class players. Gary Medel is at the international level to me, for me one of the better defenders uh, in this in South America. He may not replicate that necessarily with his club form in Italy and in, in in the year uh, or two he was in England, but uh, at the international level he's fantastic. There's so, certain players that are better at the international level than they are at the club level. Mm-hmm. We'll get into this when we get into the into previewing the Euros because there's a lot. Of guys uh, on on that continent that fit that, that bill, but uh, I Benel Medel is in that category. Uh, this ultimately is a difficult ask for them coming uh, a year, uh, twelve months, eleven months after they won at home in a Copa America that um, is a even though it's a centenario, it is a kind of a ceremonial tournament. It's it's not. Um, it includes Concacaf countries, and 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 it, they, there was so much. Uh, that uh, was asked of them to win that at home and then the turmoil after with some bully leaving, uh, PZ coming in as the manager. Uh, But I still expect them to be very, very strong in this group Mm -hmm. and
1: and, uh, have them second. Yeah. Um, Chris, anything to add to that? Do you see them finishing second? I think we all probably do. They probably have the beating of Panama and Bolivia pretty comfortably.
3: Mm, I I think that's a fair point. The the issue I have with with Chile is is a very similar one to Argentina in that sense. It's, It's that defense. It's the fact that for all the the fact that gary Medell is listed as a defender I still i'm not sure personally if he is and it, it's for me it's not even a height thing either I, I think yes his height is a disadvantage i find his recklessness a little bit of a concern as well and it is at times with Chile, and it wasn't a Sanpa as well quite a patchwork defense and certainly there was a beauty in that because it fit the This sort of narrative of them being this cavalier band of cowboys that just used to tear up the field as if, (laughs) you know, there was nothing to worry about. But again, I I feel as if if they're going to be undone, it's going to come through that defensive weakness just because there's not a huge amount of of quality in there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And the opening game is against Argentina, so that matters. Gabe, let's talk about Panama. Um, Most of this... I I, I had a similar problem that I did with a couple of teams yesterday, including Haiti. I, I didn't recognize most of the names in this uh, uh, in this lineup. And one of the names that I did recognize that was on the original lineup is Mil Diaz, the 19-year-old Porto striker, is injured. So it yeah. really is going to come down to Gabriel Gomez, the hard-working mid- defensive midfielder, to try to get anything out of uh, the games against uh, the other teams in this group.
0: Yeah, I, I, no, I think that's uh, that's 100% correct. Uh, I mean, uh, really, the I had the exact same uh, scenario as you did. Really, the only player that... Uh, was notable that I've, I've, I've seen and heard of some about is, is Ishmael Diaz then, who's in the, 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 essentially the, the, U squad for, for Porto. Uh, but, uh, with, with him being out, I, I think this is just, you know, it comes back to it. I think it was going to be that case with Diaz in the, in the lineup or not. Uh, this is just a team that struggles for for some goals at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And I think looking at this group, uh, that's that's going to be the toughest thing to get over. And, and at least the past couple of friendlies uh, and World Cup qualifiers that they've had, uh, they've only had one goal in the past three games, and that was against Haiti, um, who uh, has not necessarily been a, a juggernaut in the international stage. Uh, this far. So it's pretty telling exactly where Panama is. I think this is another team that we can, uh, put down then as, as kind of a team through, through transition right now. Uh, it will be an opportunity, obviously, as it always is in these cases to where, um, you know, some of the more experienced play, players, uh, have, have moved on, uh, to where it's a, it's a great opportunity for some of the youngsters to come through. Like we said, we were with Diaz, a 19 year old, uh, hoping for that to be his opportunity, but, uh, it's just going to have to take then some other players um, to uh, to step up and in, in a you know a, a group that you can at least see them be competitive with uh with uh, Bolivia, I think uh, just in the dynamics then of, of this group with definitely the the two favorites uh being Argentina and Chile
1: karthik are Gabe and I doing disservice to Panama by essentially suggesting that they're making up the numbers in this group
2: yeah I, I think to a certain extent because I think Panama has proven. In these one-month events, time and again, going back to 2005 when they went all the way to the Gold Cup final, uh, they were very strong in Gold Cup 2009, lost in a controversial game uh, to Mexico in in a knockout stage game to Mexico in Houston, uh, where uh, Javier Aguirre, among others, was sent off and then uh, made it to the final in 2013. 2015, I thought they were, uh, well, 2015, they were robbed in the semifinals. So they, they it, and I'm talking about gold cups, but four mm. of the last five gold cups. And in 2011, they made it to the semifinals to actually beat the United States in, uh, in, in the group stage, a match I was at in Tampa. So five of the last six gold cups, Panama. Has been very good has been better than costa rica for the most part better than honduras better than uh, jamaica well jamaica made the finals last time but generally better than jamaica these countries that have actually qualified for world cups out of, out of CONCACAF. so in a one-month event held on u.s soil panama is very dangerous they have a lot of players who either play in major league soccer now or have played in major league soccer in the past so that is an added advantage and that they have some familiarity with the terrain uh, I think we might be selling uh, Panama a little bit short, mm. although uh, it is a tough group. Argentina—they don't face Argentina and Chile in the Gold Cup. They face, you know, countries right. like mm. uh, the, the countries they face in like Concacaf. But I think uh, I, I think they'll finish third in this group, and if someone slips up, they could finish second.
1: Contrasting that with Bolivia, Chris, uh, what what Karthik said about a lot of those players uh, playing in MLS, the Bolivian team has comprises almost entirely of players playing in Bolivia. And even though their team's named, like, uh, quote, the strongest, it's not really a strong (laughs) league. Uh, So talk to me about this Bolivian team. They they were very poor, very poor against the US Men's National Team on Saturday, uh, especially defensively at multiple times. the Multiple players in the team could have just walked through on goal, and I don't mean that um, in any... Figurative way, I mean that literally. And so, yeah, let, let's start with that. How, talk to me about this Bolivian team.
3: It's it's an interesting one with Bolivia because my memories of them are 94 and, and Marco Echeverri and Hami Moreno and Echeverri being this wonderful talent. And I've spoken to Bruce Arena, fortunately enough, about him and he will really eulogize about Echeverri. Their record in this competition isn't great. I mean, they've, they've won it twice, but both times it was on home soil, so you have to think there was a momentum there. The coach, I mean, the coach is quite a curious chap, uh, Julio Cesar Baldevejo. He once played his 12-year-old son um, while being a club manager in 2009. He handed a <laughs> to him. I'm reliably informed it did not go well. Um, but uh, as you, you said… He got you know, slide know.
1: tackled? What happened?
3: <laughs> well, he
1: was a 12-year-old playing with men. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> <laughs>
3: did not not think I needed to finish the story on that one
1: um, i I only asked the most important
3: follow-up questions, chris. <laughs> I, th- I think as you touched on there yourself though it's it's a squad that is is sort of struggling to to break away from the fact that so many of their players um are playing domestic football. I believe you've you've got Yasmini uh, duck in, in the states there with with yeah. the cosmos. Bruno Miranda and University Universidad de Chile. The one for me who, who I feel like is a little bit of a miss is, is Marcelo Moreno, who was at Wigan many years ago and Shakhtar and, and was sort of, you know, the, 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 prominent Bolivian, I think, playing in a, in a major league for a good while there. Having that kind of quality can help a little bit, um, in terms of just bridging that gap. But it, it's so difficult to look past them being whipping boys. Um, and by no means is this a dig to the United States. That game for me highlighted a lot of the frailties of, of Bolivia, and and if the United States can exploit them with such ease, right? I can only imagine um, what the the more elite nations, if you
1: will, can can do to that. Gabe, who do you see finishing third between Panama and Bolivia?
0: I, I think just just with a, a little bit uh, you know more experience at the international stage from some of the players, uh, I, I do I do think it's going to be Panama. It's going to finish third in the group. But uh, I, I am uh, just to to see a bunch of goals. I have to say I'm I'm quite looking forward to Bolivia versus Argentina in the group stages. Should be should be uh, should be horrible for the Bolivian keeper. That's for sure.
3: It's it's so, interesting. That's the thing I think it's interesting. No, is that the coach has actually left off Moreno, and he's also left off a young chap called Sebastian Gamara, who's with Milan's youth team. So, hmm. you've got to think the players that he's called up, like Juan Carlos Arce, etc., you've got to think they must be better. He in sees his
1: head something in them, right. Because right, they're, right.
3: they're playing uh, for the most part. I mean, uh, Juan Carlos Arce, for example, is playing for Bolivar in, in the home country. <laughs> Again, standards such as comparing China to Bolivia, hmm. you could say it's it's much of a muchness. You, I have to think that he's seen something, though, in, in those players to think that uh, it was a better idea.
1: Right. So let's, uh, Karthik, let's start talking about the U.S. men's national team. We're going to talk about each position, uh, except goalkeeper, because I think we discussed that, uh, yeah. on Monday's podcast where we discussed Guzan and, uh, Howard in detail. So let's talk about the defenders. Um, this is an area that you highlighted on, uh, in the first, uh, episode of the Eurocopa podcast brought to you by Sling Latino. Talk to me about this defender position. Who do you like? Who do you, who do you see might struggle in this tournament?
2: Well, first off, DePuna, your hosting skills are off the charts. Uh, working in that sponsor, uh, uh, sponsor mentioned there, so that's, that's
1: I've, I've great. been, I've well been working
2: out. <laughs> well, <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, done. Um, on, on the back line, I think you could argue the U.S. has the strongest back line uh, that the the country has had since the 2002 World Cup. Uh, There's some argument made. There was some back and forth on Twitter when I threw this out there uh, earlier today about 2010, because you had Gooch, uh, you had Jay Demerit starting, Gooch and Jay Demerit starting as your center backs. Uh, and then you had uh, uh, obviously Tarundulo, Ch- who's off the charts, maybe the best U.S. suspender of all time up there with Eddie Pope as right back and left back was Carlos Bocanegra. However, I would point out Bocanegra uh, by that time was kind of out of position at left back, was slipping uh, at his uh, at the club level. I think it, he was at Rangers at that point, or he might have gone to France. Um, uh, Demerit was playing in the championship for Watford. Gooch was on Milan's books, but it played once or twice that previous season. Chirondolo was Chirondolo. He was amazing. Let's compare this back line that we've got right now. We have got potentially, and sorry, I shouldn't say we, the United States. Obviously, I'm American, so I'm saying we. <laughs> apologies. Um, apologies. We're trying to be neutral, but of course, uh, Gabe, Gabe and I are, and Nipoon we're all we're all Yanks. Um, uh, not quite. The, I'm that, still I'm
1: Indian, but I, I count.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and uh, so, anyway, the back four, the the projected starting back four ha- would have DeAndre Yedlin potentially at right back, someone that Chris saw a lot of this season. At Sunderland, he started that entire run in they Escape Relegation, something we've talked about a lot on this podcast in the past. You would have at center back, potentially John Brooks, uh, who had a fantastic season for Hertha Berlin, mm. and uh, Jeff Cameron, who had a very good season playing in multiple roles for Stoke. At left back, you could have Fabian Johnson, who was uh, one of the best players for Borussia Gladbach. A team that qualified for the that was in the Champions League this past year qualified for the Champions League again for next season. Uh, although, of course, he plays in the midfield for Munchen Gladbach, he will probably play left back. So think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be the starting uh, starting four for the U.S. All guys playing at a high level at big European clubs. And uh, you have a guy like Matt Beasler who's versatile, who's a great ball-playing uh, central defender. Uh, we saw him play left-back against Bolivia, potentially to slide into one of those roles, and one of those guys doesn't work out. Uh, I think this is a very good back line, which, uh, again, speaks to there's a lot of spinning going on from the U.S. manager all the time. He's a, he's a PR maestro, right, in, in lowering expectations, uh, passing the buck. Uh, throwing other people under the bus uh, blaming other people you look at this back line if the united states doesn't get far in this tournament you have to think either there's been a, a serious injury uh, an officiating mistake or mismanagement
1: so chris one of the things i was struck by yesterday was uh, or two days ago was the talk about omar gonzalez winning uh, liga mx with pachuca and i'm i remember him playing having an important part to play in the in the world cup and i wonder what's happened with his uh career with the uh, the u.s National team
3: I think that's a fantastic question it's one that I'm not even sure I can answer personally because again he has just been crowned a champion um mm-hmm. and yet he he's not deemed good enough I, I it was uh it was quite interesting to see Jürgen actually congratulate him through Twitter um <laughs> word <Awkward>. yeah <laughs> I noticed that a lot of my colleagues in the states picking up on that and commending him for his uh, his brass tacks, as we say. I, I, I think the, the curious thing with US centre-backs in, in general is I don't know how well they mesh together at this precise moment. Um, maybe I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I quite like the notion of someone who engages and someone who sweeps up. And the best example I can give of that is 2006, Alessandro Nesta, Fabio Cannavaro. Right. Um, you would have someone who was a bit quicker and could cover him behind and someone who was happy to engage and, and felt comfortable stopping a, a take on. I don't know if the U.S. has that kind of physical defender who can cover up the ground exceptionally. I think John Brooks is certainly in that mould. I've just yet to see him truly tested by exceptional pace. Um, and I think, look, that's one of the things you can say about this Copper America tournament and why it's great that the U.S. are in there. This will be a huge test for them because... Yes, they've got the Gold Cup. That is one thing. They've got uh, X qualifying, all this stuff. That's wonderful. Copper America is a different beast because you face different teams. There's a different culture to it. And it's funny because I, I spoke to, to David James once about this when he was playing a youth tournament for England. And he said, when you. Was that like 50 years ago? Wow. Uh, it, it's 1991. <laughs> I think it was the Toulon tournament, funny enough, it's just been um, occurring in, in Europe here now. Mm. And he said that, you know, we played uh, Mexico. I think they played. Guinea or, or Senegal. And he said that in playing those different nations, you gained a different culture from it. You understood a different way to play. Now, granted, the players involved here are of a different age. They're mm. fully established professionals. I never think you stop learning, though. Or I never, yeah, I think you never stop learning. That's what I said or meant to say. Yeah, right. Sure, sure. And that will be G- good for these players.
1: Yeah. Gabe, you know who will be watching Omar Gonzalez? Our fellow ND11 supporters, because we uh, we play them, we play Pachuca in a friendly tomorrow. That is so, that is the case. That is the case, yep.
0: which I'm going to be missing for for this podcast. So I mean, that's Ditto. That's, Ditto. that's tough. But uh, but that's no go, go, proceed. exactly, we we love you. People so game. Out here.
1: <laughs> talk to let's talk, let's talk about midfield now. Uh, yeah, uh, you and I got a question on Twitter about this. Uh, we were asked about uh, Michael Bradley, who mm. uh, we all adore, and what uh, we were asked what was his best. Uh, position and and from my perspective, it's it's more of a Michael Carrick esque position. We a uh, deep lying playmaker, and we saw him do that with ease in the Bolivia game, where he played a uh, uh, two or three balls over the defense uh, that led to goals. Uh, in fact, uh, he he did that in the World Cup as well, in that in the last minute uh, in the Belgium game to help score. So, uh, that's my opinion on that. What about you? you? What do you see as the best role for? Uh, probably the most important piece of this U.S. Mets national team uh, in its entirety.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think he's he's going to be, uh, you know, the the biggest influencer uh, in midfield for, for the U.S. Uh, it would be in, in, you know, I think this is kind of where it, it's, it's tough as a U.S. fan because, you know, we, we really don't see a consistent lineup from Jurgen Klinsmann um you know whether it's friendlies or in tournaments to really get a good reading as to, to uh, how you know, this team's going to shape up uh you know I can see uh us shaping up in a 442 a 433 um I, I kind of like when when you do have Bradley though um in in kind of a, a triangle in midfield um you know having him as the the deepest lying playmaker and at least one person who can kind of play more of that that destroyer role uh can help break up play uh something then that that obviously Jermaine Jones can do well at uh and, and then a, another presence there in midfield I think gets to the most balance uh for this USA squad and and I think that's probably what we're going to see most often uh in, in that case um and and when Bradley is playing uh as that kind of deep uh playmaker role um I, you know the the whole entire field then as as his disposal um I think his his obviously his long range ability uh I would say is his strongest attributes um, and as much time as we can get on get him on the ball, I think is going to be ideal. My my probably biggest concern with just the this is more you know in the central midfield uh, area um, is when we are going to be playing then against teams that are a little bit more mobile uh, in the midfield. Um, mm-hmm. You know players that that are able to come in and really drive um uh and attack a player then one all one is a bit concerning because uh there certainly isn't much pace in our in our central midfield. Um I, I think that uh for example when you look at, at Kyle Beckerman um I, I think again another player who is good at his role but any time that you have then um, a very fluid, a very mobile midfield uh, can certainly cause Beckerman some some issues, and so you have Jermaine Jones, 34, most likely he's going to be his you know last big tournament uh, for the U.S. men's national team. So as as I look at that that midfield, it's probably the the you know the biggest question marks that I have. Then, and, and we're going to certainly get the, the litmus test, I think, uh, right off the bat then with Columbia, which is going to be a good right. uh, you know identification as to, to how those players are going to are going to hold up. Uh, but then my my factor is going to probably be uh, be Nagby uh, coming on. Uh, I think he can be a, a real impact player uh, again in the same way that I have concerns with U.S. Uh, in terms of driving midfielders. Uh, Nagby can play that role uh, for, for U.S. then against its opposition and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does um, You know, in, in, in really the in first international tournament that he's really being called upon then for the senior squad. I can't, I'll be really honest. I, don't rate Kyle Beckerman
3: at
1: all. I was just think- going to ask
3: I think yeah, tell me why a, that is, Chris. I think he's such a one-dimensional midfielder mm-hmm. that has, has lived on this ability to pass backwards and sideways very easily. I, and, I wouldn't uh, disagree. I find it so baffling that someone like Dax McCarthy plays in that league, contributes on both ends of the ball, might I add, and does exactly the same role, plus more, and can't even get near the national team. It, it, it genuinely...
2: Yeah, yeah. The, Dax, the Dax McCarty thing it blows my mind, and I, I will admit I'm partial to the player. I watched him uh, as a youngster here in Florida, but uh, he is a guy that keeps the ball moving and can play the ball forward. Uh, I think, once again, you've got a manager that has certain preferences for players based on how they mesh with the group or some other consideration. Kyle Beckerman uh, has been had very few caps with the national team before Jürgen Klinsmann became the manager. And uh, he was taken down to Copa in that experimental squad in, uh, in, in 2007, but uh, was not featured regularly under Bob Bradley except in what we would call B Games. Now, Beckerman, for whatever reason, is a player that Klinsmann uh, liked so much. In his very first match as manager, He he called him in. He had not been called in for the Gold Cup, which was Bradley's last tournament. Very first match, a month later, uh, after Bob Bradley's uh, sacked against Mexico, Kyle Beckerman is starting in that same holding midfield position, which he continues to occupy. And he's continued to start consistently for the national team. Uh, two friendlies later here in Miami against uh, Honduras, then against Ecuador in, in, uh, at Red Bull Arena. Later that, I'm, just, I'm looking at the squad sheets that I have from those games. Kyle Beckerman is a favorite of Jürgen Klinsmann's, if you want to know why he's in this team.
3: The, the funny thing is as well, I don't... Sorry, Nepun, it's one of the few things I'm genuinely passionate about, in the sense that I've spoken to, to Dax McCarty about this, And he's never had a proper explanation why he's been in there. And neither has Benny Failharber either. Mm. And this is, again, the Failharber issue is another thing that's rattled on. And people have asked him, and and he's come back with this answer of, he's just behind guys on the depth chart. Personally, I think this is one of Jürgen's real issues, is that he owes those guys an explanation. Because the two of them have been really dominating MLS. Sasha
2: Kleiston also. That's a third guy in the midfield who plays with McCarty at Red Bull who is an extremely cultured midfielder uh, and a, 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 a is a two-way player, is a box-to-box guy that, uh, by the way, has played well with Michael Bradley in the times they did play together on the national team. Yet he's not; he, he hasn't gotten, uh, I bet, a proper explanation either, Chris. No, so... he,
3: I remember he got one... He essentially got one... Go at number ten in Scotland because I I was there, funnily enough, and and he was cut from the the roster that was going to the tournament. I want to say it was the World Cup roster possibly that he was cut from for that. Um, for for after that game that he didn't make it for, but even still, you look at Sasha Question, most assists in in MLS at this point, most game winning assists might add as well, more than Sebastian Giovinco, and yet for some reason. He can't seem to get into this team. And and there's a genuine continuity that I appreciate you need sometimes with national teams. But I think with Klinsman, it's continuity to a fault because the same guys get opportunities and opportunities. And it
2: is a desire to prove... That he is smarter than the rest of us and smarter than his predecessor. Sasha mm-hmm. Kleiston was a player that played for Bob Bradley at Chivas USA and was featured regularly in the national team under Bob Bradley. Benny Feilhaber was a guy featured regularly in the national team under Bob Bradley. Uh, guys like Eric Lehigh and Jonathan Bornstein, uh, can't, can't scratch. And now Bornstein doesn't deserve it, but he was admitted right away by Klinsman. Uh, Lehigh in, has been admitted regularly. Uh, Jonathan Spector, another player who was a favorite of, uh, uh, admittedly, of Bob Bradley. So, look, I mean, I, I don't want to get too far down the road here. Everybody knows where I stand on this, but I, you, I think you ma-
1: Klinsmann, right?
2: Yeah, I no, no, I think the manager, <laughs> the manager, either has to accomplish something in this tournament or he has to go. And uh, he set he set these standards, and he hasn't met any of them. We, we've judged him. Uh, people like Chris and I that cover the national team have judged Jurgen Klinsmann by metrics he himself has set. Not by mm-hmm. metrics we've arbitrarily set, but by accomplishments he said he would meet and he would he would uh, accomplish, and he hasn't gotten there.
1: So, Karthik, let's finish with this. Uh, the, we d- got to talk about the forwards, and one of the successes of Klinsman, the few successes, has been Wood and Zardes, uh, and they are complementing a, a well-experienced forward line with Dempsey and Wondolowski. So talk to me about the forwards. I quite like this uh, this forward lineup.
2: Yeah, I do too, and and uh, I just ripped Klinsman, but let me give you uh, the counter to that, which is Jayasi Zardes is a phenomenally good, homegrown MLS player who played at... Uh, uh, at Cal State, uh, Santa Barbara, or Bakersfield. one, one I think it was uh, UCSB. Uh, came through the LA Galaxy Academy. Uh, played a little bit of PDL at the Ventura County Fusion. Uh, a very, very uh, accomplished PDL club. He's a guy who may not have gotten a look from Bob Bradley or Bruce Arena as quickly as he did by uh, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. And when he had a couple bad outings at the beginning of his national team career he might have been dropped so this is to to Jürgen Klinsmann's credit he saw the raw talent he saw the versatility of Zardes and Zardes is a guy we talked about this on the last show I'm likening to the new Joe Max Moore. you can play him on the wing you can play him up top as a number nine you can play him alongside another striker if you're going to play a 4-4-2 or or some sort of setup with with a, a second striker you can play him in the middle almost like not quite as a number 10 but maybe as a nine and a half uh, a combo uh, a player, uh, and he, his touch has gotten better. Uh, I, I used to uh, liken him to Breck Shea, who was another of Klinsman's right. favorites until recently. Breck Shea is got, has uh, zero soccer IQ, as far as I'm concerned, and I watch him week <laughs> in and week out with Orlando City. Uh, a player with uh, fantastic speed, but zero soccer IQ. Jayacy Zardis. I likened to Brett Shea two years ago at this time. Now I see a guy whose touch has gotten better, whose movement is smarter, who's uh, playing the right passes, playing the right balls. So I, I really like Zardis and I give Klinsman a lot of credit for him. Bobby Wood, similarly, is a player that had been on the radar for a long time but had not really panned out to our expectations. Uh, he's now getting the move to a Bundesliga 1 club in Hamburg. We, a lot of us who follow the U.S. youth national teams expected that three or four se- years ago. But to Klinsmann's credit, he saw the role he could fit in the national team. And um, having a good uh, summer, a couple friendlies last year with the national team, pushed him into a situation where uh, he did very well for Union Berlin this season. And now he's gotten the move to Hamburg. Uh, You mentioned Dempsey. Everybody knows what he provides. He's been a little hot or cold lately, but there's cover for him. And then, of course, you've got uh, in in uh, Christian Pulisic, a young player, who everybody's talking about. I'm a little concerned about the amount of pressure. I see articles even in the British press, uh, your colleagues, Chris, in, in, in the, uh, uh, UK press talking about this player as an, as the next great global super superstar. So little concerned as an American that not only have we put a lot of pressure on him and Gabe and I had that conversation in a previous show, right? Gabe about uh, all the guys yeah. that we've anointed as the next great one. Now it's coming from the international media. Um, but he, he's combining well with Darlington Agby and, uh, and Wando, um, look, I'm going to defend Klinsman on this one. There's a lot of controversy about Wando being picked over Jordan Morris. And Jordan Morris is the future. He's a, he's part of that bright future we see with guys like Darlington Nagby and, uh, and Christian Pulisic and, and a player like Mane at Vancouver who's going to get U.S. citizenship soon. And I believe will be in this national team for 2018. Uh, but, If we're looking at getting results in this tournament, which again is a bar that Jurgen Klinsmann himself has set, uh, you want a guy who's a reliable goal scorer game in and game out. And knowing that neither Morris or Wondolowski was going to start, I think Wondo is the better guy to bring off the bench in the 80th minute to, 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 to potentially create a scoring opportunity and then get a goal for you. I know people who don't watch MLS and don't know much about this player continue to come back at me with what happened against Belgium. Okay mm-hmm. It happened. Mm-hmm. he missed that chance, but I still trust him more than I would trust Jordan Morris right now, and I think Klinsman made the right choice with Wandale now. he could live or die with that choice because people are really fired up about it. but uh, in this instance i'm going to defend Klinsmann on that choice
0: and and right. let me let me add just a, one brief thought I, sure I, sure just to add on to, to everything that Kartik said is I think we're going to look at this though as well as uh, the whole entire Josie Outdoor injury potentially being a blessing disguise because as much as as Carter just went on and I think that we do have a lot of versatility in this in this striker lineup. Uh, if if Outdoor was healthy, I, I think there would have been just kind of the the gut reaction for uh, Klinsman to go with Dempsey and Outdoor uh, in mm-hmm. a lot more cases. And I think this is going to open the door for the likes of Zardes, uh, for for Wood to really have more of an impression on this tournament and on this team than they might have otherwise if Josie was healthy
1: we will end on what is an exceptionally good point by Gabe. Gabe you continue to surprise me. We will be back tomorrow <laughs> to, uh, uh, this this is the end of the Euro, Euro Copa preview pods for the for Copa Centenario, but tomorrow we'll start the previews for the European Championships and guess who'll be back recording that with me? It'll be none other, th- other than Karthik Krishna, Gabe Smith and Chris Henarch. So uh, on behalf of everyone at World Soccer Talk, this is Nipun Chopra bidding you farewell. Karthik Enjoy your football.